Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The hope is that falling in love will bring out the best in us. But that's not always the case. As 12-year-old Jasmine Richardson fell in love with her 23-year-old boyfriend, Jeremy Steinke, they came up with a plan so sinister it had the community of Medicine Hat, Alberta in complete shock. And a family was permanently destroyed. How's it going? I'm Nicole. I'm Ben. And you are listening to Wicked and Grim. A true crime podcast. Clankity clink. Clankity clink clink. We're being responsible and hydrating ourselves with good old H2O today. Well, because it's finally hot in our town. In like, our town. It's third city, town, community, whatever it is. Good old Canada. Um, Isn't it like 30 degrees or something? Uh, Celsius. Should clarify that right now because people in Fahrenheit are probably like, ooh, that's cold. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, 30 degrees Celsius right now. Which is hot for us. It's yeah. hot. So we finally have summer right in time for fall to start kicking in pretty quick. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I saw a leaf <laughs> on the ground already. <laughs> really? I did, but I think it was just like the tree was dying because there's are no. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. It has to be. It's too early. It's too early. That shit won't happen for a that while. Gave me like a slight panic attack. No. We're not Damn. there yet. We're not there yet. Wow. Okay. Well, in the meantime, we're going to hydrate ourselves in this hot weather. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, fun fact. I don't know if I've mentioned it many times before, but I am a safety professional at work, right? You are. Um, today in my safety meeting at work, I, I gave a good old talk on heat stress and staying hydrated was a very important key on that. Oh, that's good. So I guess you can say I'm following my own advice. Well done. Thank you. Well, I am the opposite of a safety person, and I had a very bad tumble on the weekend and fucked myself <laughs> up. <laughs> Mountain biking. Yeah. I, Extracurricular. I, um, well, I'm learning-ish, right? Mm-hmm. And I ended up using my front brake a little bit too heavily going down a hill, and I went right over my handlebars. Yeah. A good old, in the, the mountain bike community, we call it an OTB, over the bars. Yeah, you said that to someone the other day. I was like, what's up? <laughs> and yeah, I have some massive, massive bruises and scabs. Yeah, but you look badass now. I do. You look like you just took someone the fuck out. I was going to wear a dress, actually, What today, like a really pretty dress. And I was like, I just can't right now because I don't suit <laughs> this. <laughs> I mean, I think anyone can sue at any time, but I mean, if that's what you, you well, I think, have some, okay. su- some huge bruises. I was like, it just doesn't fit. Fair. Doesn't fit. Um, should we get on to Patreons? Yeah, Patron, let's do it. Pa- pa- Patreon and patrons. There we go. And well, the really exciting thing too about these lucky Patreons is on Sunday, we'll be dropping our monthly extra episode for yeah, them. The exclusive. Uh, so the individuals we had sign up for Patreon this week. So special shout out to Melissa Harper, Angie Arms McDaniel, Lexi Roy, Amy Rudiage, and Jessica Meeks. Rutledge, Rutledge, Amy Rutledge. I just, I read it, the L is an I for a moment there. Oh, that's okay. So Amy Rutledge, I just clued in. So, uh, and then yeah, Jessica Meeks. So. Awesome. 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 Thank you so much for supporting us over on Patreon. Um, To those who who can't support us or don't want to, that's totally cool. There's no need. Oh, yeah. Um, No hard feeling whatsoever. Just appreciate you being here. And to those who do decide to go support us on Patreon, we appreciate that too. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, the patrons will get that extra exclusive episode coming up at the end of the month. Yeah, which is very soon. Yeah. Um, And we are 
a day late today? Yes, I was just going to say that. So um, it's not really because of my injury, actually. Um, <laughs> I could blame it on that. But I, it's honestly like I started doing this case and then there and it was like it was all right. But then I saw the book on it mm-hmm. and I was like, holy, this has like insane amount. And one day I read like 100 pages of this book and I was like, uh, yeah, I need an extra day and we're putting a bunch more shit in there. That's totally fair. Once in a while, we take that extra day and we do it just to make sure we get that extra information and we do yeah. the case justice. So, yeah, so this is, there's a lot of info. Um, this is part one. This is going to be a two parter now. It was definitely not going to be to begin with. Um, but I did not stop it in an asshole spot for well, part good. one. That's good. So you could very much listen to this and then very much to listen to the next one and not think I'm a giant jerk. So fair. There you go. Um, can I touch on some true crime news that occurred today Ooh, before yes. we get into the episode? Please do. So we had two crazy things get announced today in the world of true crime. Do you know two. what they are? Okay. Well, I heard about the one, the John Bonet. Yes. Uh, so the headline from Fox News says this regarding John Bonet. John Bonet Ramsey crime scene DNA could be ID'd in hours, cold case researchers says as family pushes for answers. Um, so really quick elevator pitch of this article, which we will put in the links, maybe this episode as well. Okay. And of course, social media um, elevator pitch. Yeah, there is some uh, some DNA that the family is pushing to get ID'd. Um, it could potentially get turned away, but they're really pushing get it ID'd and it could help in solving the case. So that is really cool. Well, yeah, because I'm just looking here. So she, that was in 1996 that she passed away. Mm-hmm. Okay. So gosh, man, that'd be incredible if they got, if they were able to solve that, eh? It would be. That'd be amazing. And second piece of incredible news that came out today, the infamous Somerton Man mystery may have been solved as DNA points to the man's identity, Professor claims. That is the uh, title of the article on CNN. Uh, so basically... A professor who has dedicated decades to solving one of Australia's most, like, enduring mysteries claims he's discovered the identity of this mysterious Somerton man. Hmm. Uh, apparently, he says that the body of the man who identif- identified as a Somerton man mm-hmm. was one of a man called Carl Charles Webb, an electrical engineer. Uh, and that's who he claims the mysterious man is. And this case is from 1948, so... Um, and so this man was just never identified? Correct. I'm not familiar with this, to be honest. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy case. Oh, okay. Um, and maybe so you, you have to cover that. Oh, I planned on it one day, and maybe maybe now I'll have to sooner than later. Yeah. But uh, his findings have been yet to be verified. So both the John Bonet case and the Somerton Man case are currently still in the limbo mystery stage, but both very well could be solved very soon oh, that's so good like that they just don't give up because and that's the thing people think they get away with shit but you you just might not and the biggest thing is conversations us on this podcast we probably will never solve a case i mean that'd be absolutely insane if we did mm-hmm. but we probably will never solve a case let's be honest however us having the conversation can get you guys out there having the conversation yeah. and it could get someone's name to someone who might know something or might end up researching and passing that information on and it accumulates and snowballs and years down the road, someone might figure it out because someone somewhere heard it on our podcast. Well, yeah, it's just saying that these people are not, they've never gotten forgotten, right? Exactly. Like, which is, it's it's awesome. And like true crime is this popular thing, right? So it's great that these things are still talked about and still researched. And It is. And exploring it through conversation, like it's the best thing you can can do. Like you say, it's never been forgotten about. And that mm-hmm. that sums it up beautifully. So well done on that. High five. Oh, thank you. Schmack. Smack. Okay. We took up like almost eight minutes of an intro here. So let's get into well, this. You ready? Epic stuff. But let's go. Okay. Whew. Okay. This is wild. Okay. I do want to say the book too is unbelievable because I've kind of skimmed and read some other um, true crime books and I'm like, uh, it's kind of boring. But this one, no. So it's called The Runaway Devil, How Forbidden Love Drove a 12-Year-Old to Murder Her Family. And it is by Robert Remington. So I honestly suggest reading this. You listen to our podcast first and then read it. And it is wild, wild story. Roller coaster. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like unbelievable because I can't fit everything in the podcast. I wish I could, but there's just so much. Okay. So it was April 23rd, 2006 in Medicine Hat, Alberta, 
Canada, a city of roughly 60,000 people. Gareth, Jacob Richardson's next-door neighbor and best friend, raced next door after arriving home from a morning out to see Jacob. The two boys were supposed to have a sleepover at the Richardson's house the previous night, but Gareth ended up going to a hockey game with his grandma. Good old hockey game in Canada. It's pretty typical, eh? Hello out there. We're on the air. <laughs> it's hockey night tonight. As he peered through the window, he made a haunting discovery oh, and snap. raced back to his mum. And he said, Mummy, there's bodies at Jacob's with blood all over them. I saw them through the basement window. Oh, that's disturbing in itself, especially for a little boy to be saying that. Holy shit. Yeah, because I think he was only like five or six oh. or something. Like he, And then honestly, too, like his mom, I'd be like, huh? <laughs> yeah, I would assume she probably didn't believe him at first. Well, no. So Gareth's mom, Sarah, looked at him in disbelief. But followed Gareth across the driveway. They shared a driveway with mm -hmm. the Richardsons. And um, she warned Gareth, though. That he better not be lying. This is not something to joke about. Fair. As Gareth pressed his hands and face to a ground floor window, his mom did the same. And she saw the body of a man laying face up on the floor in his black boxer shorts. His legs and face were coated in blood. So much so, Sarah couldn't even tell if it was Jacob's dad, Mark Richardson, or not. He appeared to be reaching out with his arms in emotion, but he wasn't moving. She then saw Jacob's mum, Deborah Richardson, behind the couch. She was also lying on the floor, almost on her back in an oddly bent angle with her legs also coated in blood. Sarah took her son, fearing the attacker could still be in the area or maybe even in their house, called her mom and 911 while she waited in her car on the street for them to arrive. Holy shit. Way to jump in head first. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot, eh? That is a lot to absorb in a short amount of time. Okay. Yeah, that's page one. Oh. <laughs> wow. I don't even know how to digest that at this point. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay, keep You're going. Good. I'm just trying to process this. Yeah, we'll buckle up here. Okay. So when... Um, Inspector Brent Sickendike arrived at the scene and looked into a basement window. He saw a body on the floor covered in blood and called for backup. Really not sure what he was dealing with here. He grabbed his protective tactical shield from his cruiser, pulled his gun and waited for the backup to arrive. At 1.45 p.m., four policemen would enter the Richardson home. And here is what they would witness. Ah, this is just too much already. <laughs> Blood smears on the wall leading to the upstairs and basement. Oh, shit. More blood smears in the kitchen near the handle of the back door. As they followed the trail of smeared blood down to the basement, at the base of the stairs, they came across Deborah's body. She was lying on the floor in an unnatural position, Partly on her side and back, her face, or sorry, her head slightly propped on the back of the couch where her light brown hair was over her face. Her blue nightgown was hiked up, showing her naked from the waist down. She had a large blood stain around her body on the carpet and blood smears all over her legs. A little black dog was at her side barking and whining. Oh, no. Why did we have to bring animals into this? That just fucking breaks my heart even more. Yeah. To the left, a burly, dark-haired man in his boxer shorts laid face up on the floor in a dark pool of blood. His legs, too, were smeared in blood. The man's hands were clenched upright as if ready to fight. His right eye socket was a gaping red wound, and he had multiple slices punctures and cuts all over his face and body on the floor next to him was a screwdriver that he used in an attempt to defend himself blood was literally splattered all throughout the basement on the exercise equipment tv and ceiling wow like it would have been a scene from hell no kidding that is more than a murder scene that is that sounds like a massacre yeah. holy shit that's not cool and it gets worse. 
As they continued their search, following the smeared blood to the upstairs bedrooms, they would come across a girl's pink bedroom. The bed was unmade, but there appeared to be no signs of violence within the room. The scene in the next bedroom was unfortunately drastically more gruesome. It was a little boy's room, and on the bed lay the body of Jacob in his underwear with a large gash in his throat. There was blood on the bed, floor, walls, and all over the toys that surrounded him, including his Pokemon cards, wrestling figurines, and Star Wars lightsaber. And this is the most gut-wrenching part here. Like, I freaking sobbed when I read this. It was suspected that Jacob grabbed his lightsaber at one point during the attack and tried to use it to defend himself, giving all the blood that was on the surface of the lightsaber. Oh, my God. Like, I I can't Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. I bawled my face off. That is just, like, a lot. Oh, my stomach is in fucking knots. Holy shit. That is one of the saddest things I think we have ever even come close to saying on yeah. this podcast. Wow. I know I'm like wow. sweating. I almost left it out, but it, it's just, it's gut-wrenching to like say the least. And it honestly, I mean, I don't know the case, but I, I'm sure it's very important to understand like what happened, what this individual did. Mm-hmm. And if I may say, can Jacob be our badass of the day for trying to I fight know. back with his lightsaber? Well, the dad too. Like, I mean, we'll get into that at some point, but the dad fought like hell. Okay. To wow. like protect and save his family as well. Wow. Yeah. So three out of the four members of the Richardson family just gone. Jacob was eight years old. Deborah was 48 and Mark was 42. Jasmine Richardson was, however, missing from the scene. They searched the house numerous times for her, but she was not to be found, which the police were thankful for. Maybe she had spent the night at a friend's house, Mm -hmm. but they also feared the worst. Did the person responsible for the scene also abduct Jasmine? Was she the ultimate target in this gruesome crime? So the police released a statement that said they were searching for the Richardson's daughter regarding a serious family matter and sent out an Amber Alert. Jasmine was 12 years old. But as the events started being pieced together, they were in for a shock of a lifetime. You see, Jasmine wasn't abducted. Her life was not miraculously spared, nor was she heartbroken over the loss of her family. Because the deaths of her two parents and her little brother were at the hands of herself and her 23-year-old boyfriend. Okay. Can you repeat that, please? (laughs) The deaths of her two parents and her little brother were at the hands of herself and her 23-year-old boyfriend. There is a whole shit ton to unpack in that sentence right there. This is a a brutal one. It's brutal. First and foremost, before we get into age, you have this individual who slaughtered their family mm-hmm. their little brother mm-hmm. at the age of 12 12 12 years old with the help of their boyfriend he in their 20 years older yeah holy shit yeah it's it's wild it's a wild case it's wow devastating so I'm going to jump back and give some backstory on the Richardsons. <laughs> Please do, because my mom <laughs> now that is everyone's like brain everywhere. Is just like what? <laughs> okay, so Mark and Deborah, who both suffered from addiction previously before meeting, would marry in 1991 in Ontario and vowed to change their lives forever. They would have their first child in October of 1993, Jasmine. And shortly before having their second child, three years later, Jacob, they would mer- they would move to Auchentalks, Alberta. And I've never even heard of this town. It's apparently it's like 18 kilometers south of Calgary. So it's very close to I, us. I probably would have driven through Okintoks? it then. Auchentalks? I think that's how you say it. That, that sounds fun to say. Auchentalks? 
Yeah. Okotoks. It sounds like an Alberta town. And I don't mean that rudely at all. It just does. It sounds like an Amber Alert town. No, an Alberta town. Oh, I'm pretty sure you said it sounds like an Amber Alert town. No, and that's I was like, not where the Amber shit. Alert happened, dude. No, but I thought you were meaning like if anywhere an Amber Alert is going to happen, it sounds like this place. Good I was, God, no. Yeah, I was like, holy way to judge. Wow. <laughs> but okay, thankfully you didn't say that. That was my assumption. Well, you assumed wrong. Thank God. For a moment, I thought you might be a monster. I was like, wow. I'm not a monster. <laughs> I, I was going to do it, but I'm not going to do it. Okay. So I'm fucking, I'm going to do it. You're a monster. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So I couldn't hold it back. Times weren't always easy for the family. Deborah would have to get food from the food bank at times, but she was always stretching a dollar and making good meals for the kids. Mark and Deborah also devoted their lives to helping people get off drugs and alcohol with Deborah, a mentor and sponsor at Narcotics Anonymous. Which well, that's cool. I think is freaking awesome. No kidding. Like really shows what kind of people they are. Yeah. In the book regarding this case, Runaway Devil, like I mentioned, um, a friend, a close friend said Deborah would sometimes call and say, don't need to call me back. Just wanted to let you know that I love you and tell you love yourself. Her famous words were, I love the bones and the skin you're in. Like that sounds so nice. No kidding. Another one that described the family would say they were a loving family and treated each other with respect. In September of 2003, the family would get some good fortune when Mark, who had upgraded his courses in electrical engineering, was promoted in his in, in his career with Encana Corporation, which is a large Canadian oil and gas company. The company even paid for the family to move to Medicine Hat, which really excited them. It was about a three hour move away from where they were currently living. They had gone from relying on getting food from the food bank at one point in their lives to now having workers pack and move their belongings to their newly purchased family home in the suburban neighborhood of Rose Glen. Their hard work showed and they didn't seem to take it for granted either. Like, does this family not sound amazing? They sound like they are picture perfect out of a Hallmark movie at this point. Yeah. Like I quite literally am like picturing their house with like fake snow on the front lawn, like <laughs> Christmas lights and the dad's putting up a reindeer on the roof and rocking around the Christmas trees playing while mom's baking cookies. Like, holy shit. Yeah. I would honestly say all that's probably true. Wow. Okay. Their son, Jacob, was described as joyful and energetic. His teachers referred to him as the class clown. In his kindergarten yearbook, he wrote that he wanted to be a policeman or a soldier when he grew up. Oh, my God. And that the thing he liked best about himself was that he has a family and is very fast. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you please stop fucking pulling at my heart? Holy shit. I know. I know. Oh, my fucking God. Okay. As for wow. Jasmine, well, maybe she was pure and innocent at one time in her life, but she definitely took a very dark turn. When the family moved to Medicine Hat, Jasmine was going into grade five. She decorated her room with treasures typical for an innocent preteen. Stuffed animals, a sheer white canopy over her single bed, collection of books, and the usual girlish clutter of scarves, pens, body lotion, and a small wooden jewelry box with glass doors. Jasmine was described as happy and social, who shared her mum's luminous smile. She attended a Catholic school and didn't seem to struggle making new friends. It would be in grade six, though, that Jasmine would start to change. Her, oh. To be fair, I think at grade six, we all started to change. Oh, at some yeah, point. that's a fucked up age. Yeah. You go <laughs> well, through no. a whole lot of shit. There's hormones, there's, you notice things, things are changing with things around you and with you and. In grade six or maybe more so like seven, eight. Well, I mean, once you start getting there, things start happening. Yeah. Whether it's like immediate, like a lot of shit. And I'm not necessarily just talking puberty, but personality change too, yep. right? When she was an early bloomer, which we'll get mm -hmm. to, which I think doesn't help with a lot of things, right? Yeah. So. I don't I don't want us to start judging her just because she started changing because at that age we all fucking know that's totally fair that's totally fair um so it was grade six though oh I already said that Jasmine starts to change blah blah her and some of her friends began to question 
the formal religion taught at their school, including the concept of hell. Jasmine seemed to absorb her mother's new age interests, which included Reiki, Reiki, crystals, and meditation. She also became interested in Wicca, which is a predominantly Western movement whose followers practice witchcraft and nature worship and who see it as a religion based on pre-Christian traditions. Which, again, Wicca has another bad um, ambience around it sort of thing. It's not it does, necessarily... Yeah. But it's, it's not bad. It didn't seem all bad from yeah. what I read. No, it's not necessarily black magic. No. Though some do correlate the two that way and do practice that. But that is not standard. Yeah, you know? just because you have an interest in that, I don't think right away you'd be like, oh my gosh, a person's sketch. Or, exactly. Right? So yeah. you wouldn't. So just like we have a true crime podcast, but we're not going to go fucking murder someone. Some people probably think some we would, Some people think though. that. We've, we've had people question that already. And it's yeah, like, Yeah, we've fuck talked off. about that. Oh my gosh. So on her wall, out of black tape, she did a, she did up the pentagram symbol, which was like kind of an odd appearance in her like little girl room, you know? Mm -hmm. It was probably like a kind of a first sign-ish, right? Um, so she also started testing the limits of authority. And at the Medicine Hat Mall, she was drawn to the teens from the local goth crowd. Soon her and her friends would start adopting the goth look. Her, her wardrobe changed to be more black. She started applying darker and more heavy makeup. She occasionally wore a choker and an oversized hoodie with the logo of a heavy metal band. One of her favorites at the time was the Misfits. Misfits are awesome. Yeah, they actually named a lot of bands that I really would not have known <laughs> if it wasn't for you. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I'm, I have a feeling that a lot of her, her musical interests would have lined up a lot with yeah. me. <laughs> I think so. So she started being feared and avoided at school with teachers often concerned over her, her appearance and how she acted. Feared and avoided. Oh, I guess well, this is like a religious, a strict it, religious school. Well, okay. and I mean, she was starting to like wear pretty dark makeup and dark clothes. And Well, I mean, that I wouldn't like thinking back to high school. I know people who were like that in high school and it's like teachers and stuff weren't fearful of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see it maybe being a little more predominant in a, say, for example, a heavily Catholic school. Yeah. Because, I mean, that is going to more correlate to, you know, satanic worship and stuff. Whereas general public, it's not. It's just, oh, that person's goth, which is just like clothes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like a public school, it might not be as noticed kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So by the summer of 2005, between grade six and seven, Jasmine was physically more mature than most of her friends. She was only 11, but looked much older and could easily pass for 15 or 16. Like way, looked way older. To be fair, to be fair, some people, <laughs> some, some people might get that reference. Um, anyways, to be fair, um, I'm pretty sure that most kids nowadays who are like fucking 10, 12 do look like they're 16 Kate, anyways. Yeah. Oh, nowadays. Yeah. yeah. But this was back in like, oh, five, oh, six. Yeah. Fair enough. Like, shouldn't, shouldn't she be wearing like fucking butterfly clips and shit? Am I around that? <laughs> I feel like. Just because that's what you wore doesn't mean that's what everyone else wore. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I was still probably wearing those in like grade 11 shit. You, I'm pretty sure you still have butterfly hair I clips. don't know. You sure? I still have like my poly pockets and stuff though. Point proven. Those are, I'm keeping those for life, man. Those are sweet. Not that I like play with them. They're just my keepsake bin, okay? They're collectibles. Yeah. It's not a toy. It's an action figure, right? <laughs> I know my keepsake bin has probably some weird shit in there. I've got action figures and they're displayed on our shelf right now, so I can't judge. You can't judge no, at all. Definitely not. Okay, so this is interesting. In the book I read, it mentioned research has shown that girls who reach early puberty are at risk for um, delinquency and aggressive behavior and are also more likely to be depressed, socially withdrawn, moody, and sexually active, which kind of all makes sense a little bit. Well, I mean, doesn't that all just come with hormones and puberty anyways? It does a little bit, but like... I think they're probably feeling a little bit like uncomfortable yeah. like, in their body when like other people at their age aren't where they're at. And so then they like, act out or they even like are getting bullied about it. Yeah. Like I could see developing early being not easy. I can see it too. I just 
question the fact that it took a scientific team to come up with that, you know? Well, doesn't it take a scientific team to come up with everything? Uh, fair enough. <laughs> I mean that nicely. <laughs> Do you? Okay. <laughs> so in August of 2005, still 11, Jasmine started dabbling on online social networking sites, which I feel like was not a good decision. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. At what age? 11. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a little early, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. I was on MSN and all that stuff back in the day. Oh, gosh. It's just like shit could go south. Like, I just don't think I could have a kid. I'd just lock them up. Like, they're they're not allowed to go anywhere. I, I just want to sum this up because I've been kind of cutting in a lot here. But to sum it up, I just I don't see a major problem with her actions yet. No, I, I know what no. she does later. Clearly, I have a problem with that. You'll, they'll start getting a little bit yeah. more sketch. As for now, it just seems like your typical teenager going through something. A little young, though. Like, I, gosh, I'm just trying to remember what the hell I was doing at 11. I don't even know. What grade is that? That's like grade five. Okay, I definitely was not on the fucking computer. I was probably still making mud oh, pies and shit. Grade five? Oh, shit, really? Oh, yeah. I was playing Pokemon. I yeah. was on the Game Boy. I don't know. I don't think I'd be showing because I said it. Where was it? Um, okay, no grade six. No, I yeah. I just think I would be still like pretty innocent at that age. But I mean, everyone develops differently. Fair. So she started with mindwiz.com, listing her orientation as bisexual and describing herself as single with a dog. And like, I'm sorry, but at that age, I don't even know if I would necessarily have known what bisexual was. Her profile picture consisted of her holding a realistic looking replica handgun in her right hand and pointing it towards the ceiling. Mm. I do want to touch on the bisexual thing. I mean, like things have evolved a lot since the early 2000s. It wasn't much of a topic for us when we were that age. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it would be a little bit more rare for someone to At that, have that conversation. That yeah. But if they felt that way, I mean, I'm sure that they would know inherently. However, You're right. Nowadays, that probably wouldn't be abnormal to know that. Definitely not. No. I, th I think that's a good thing, honestly. It is a good thing, actually. Yeah. So I'll actually post a photo of, um, I think that's the photo I'll post of her holding the replica handgun because it is literally mind blowing that in that fucking photo, she's 11. Like, there's just no way. There's just no way. I don't know. Okay. Then she was on MySpace where she had a, the username X underscore madness underscore X and listed her age as 16, listing her interests as hatchets, serial killers, criminal psychology, blood, moonlight, human anatomy, and kinky shit. And kinky shit. Also listing the serial killer and cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer as a hero along with Chris Angel and a few heavy metal artists. Chris Angel, we can barely consider him a heavy metal artist. No, he no, along with Chris Angel and Oh, oh, Chris I thought Angel, you were, he was he was he uh, He was a musician as well. Oh, I thought he was just a mat magician. Ma he was a magician and a musician. You know that song I am a mind for his whole mind for oh, that was shit. him. Okay, cuz yeah, he was like you'd consider him probably goth, right? little goth yeah yeah his his style i would say is goth yeah yeah which i mean okay all of that's pretty much fine the kinky shits okay no actually no Ser being interest of serial killers well i guess that i don't know, fuck i don't even know if i can say because would that be one of my interests well, but like there there's a line shit there and like having um uh, jeffrey dahmer as a hero yes that's that, fucked that's where it kind of gets into it if you have an interest in serial killers i think there is a problem in my opinion Mm -hmm. And I could be wrong and it may not be 100% of the time, but I think- It would think be an interest in like true crime. It, yeah, it's an interest in the stories. It's an interest in what happened. It's an interest in understanding all the dynamics, but saying, I like the serial killers, that I think is not cool because mm -hmm. I love true crime. 
I fucking hate serial killers. Oh, yeah. They're assholes. They're nasty. What do you say? Douche canoes? Douche canoes to the nines. So when she started grade seven that fall, the change in Jasmine was very noticeable and dramatic as per the school counselor. Short skirts, chains, fishnet stockings, spiked collars, black mesh tops, and heavy eye makeup with eye accents of teardrops and stars drawn in black eyeliner, which all was very much so breaking the school's dress code, as you could imagine. Shortly after Jasmine's 12th birthday, she would be introduced to Jeremy Steinke in the mall, and she was very much so drawn to him. He was hyper and the center of attention. People really loved him. Around this time, Jasmine would also start getting into arguments with her parents. They did not approve of her older male friends, and rightfully so. Along with Raven, who was 19, and Trenchcoat, who was in his early 20s. Trenchcoat? Yep, these are two people's names. You know you're a winner if your nickname is Trenchcoat, if that's what people go by. Good old Trenchcoat. So those were two of her friends that were just like friends. There was Jeremy, who was 27 years old. That's 11 years older than Jasmine. Now, Jeremy was a high school dropout with a history of violence. To say his upbringing wasn't great would be an understatement. His mother was an alcoholic, and she had terrible partners over the years that abused him, like very much so abused him. He also started down a path of drugs and alcohol in his early teen years, including pot, ecstasy, acid, and mushrooms. His mom said he suffered from ADHD and at one point tried to hang himself, saying he wished he was never born. He was also a cutter. Damn. Yeah, I don't know if I need to elaborate on what a cutter is. No, and I mean, that's super unfortunate, honestly. I, I know some people in real life who did that in their early years and stuff, and it's it's not not something to, to joke about. No. It, very unfortunate. Yeah, there was actually a stat... Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can find it really quickly in here um, about how this many people actually do this. Like it was like, whoa. It's actually quite prevalent. Yeah, like I feel like it said it was, oh, my internet's not going to be nice to me. Like 20% or, wow, really? or something. Okay, so I found the statistic. And what it says is that one in every 200 adolescent girls between the age of 13 and 19 regularly cut themselves. Okay, that's still high, but it's definitely lower than 20%. Yeah, it is lower, but that I that is like a lot higher than I anticipated it to be. Mm-hmm. That is still significant. Yeah, so I was like, holy. Okay, so it wasn't until the summer of 2005 that Jeremy started to go, to go goth. He was looking for a new crowd, and they were very accepting of him. Which I have heard that, like, of of people who are goth, right? Like, they're very accepting. Well, yeah, and, like, I've been kind of, not goth, but, like, punk. I've been kind of part of that scene um, throughout my, my life. And people in that sort of genre, they're generally outcasts themselves. So if you feel like you're fitting in with them, they, they accept it. They're not going to fight back because they know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. So they're usually open arms in those sort of crowds, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, and Jeremy enjoyed hanging out with a younger crowd. Though his mom never admitted to drinking during her pregnancy, it was speculated that Jeremy had fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And apparently the desire to hang out with a younger crowd is common among people with this disorder. Their developmental problems often often include stunted growth and lower mental and emotional capabilities than others in their age group. So they, though they have a desire to have friends, they can often be rejected by their peers because of their social immaturity. So just kind of like what I said, we're, we have two people who are trying to fit in, right? Mm-hmm. And once they find someone else like them, they're going to be open arms. Yeah. So we kind of almost have a perfect storm between these two. One who's not fitting in with their peers because they're outgrown them for lack of better words, and one who is not fitting with their peers because their peers are outgrowing them, for lack yeah. of better terms. Yeah. So, and this is other thing I really wanted to note. Jeremy was also described as hyperactive. His mom described him as ADHD. 
And it's common to suffer from both. So people with fetal alcohol effects and ADHD can be impulsive and can put themselves in dangerous situations without thinking about the consequences, which I think really needs to be mentioned in this case. Fair. More commonly, what you might hear about Jeremy, though, is that he, like this is like the all this other stuff that I said was in the book. But when you read like news stories, it's often that he wore a vial of blood around his neck, claiming he liked the taste of blood. He was a self-proclaimed 300-year-old werewolf and a soul eater. Wow. That would be like kind of how the media described him. Jasmine and Jeremy would start casually seeing each other in December of 2005. And around February of 2006, Jeremy sent Jasmine an email asking her to be his girlfriend, to which she said yes. And you could say the pair might not have been the best influence on each other. One thing I should note, too, is like Jeremy didn't realize how old Jasmine was exactly. Like, I think he thought that she was like 15 or something, well, which I is mean, still way too young. That is. But I mean, her profile online did say she was 16. You said. Yeah. And um, she didn't realize some of the stuff I read, how old exactly he was. So I don't know. I don't know. The two of them communicated through VampireFreaks.com, which is currently an online clothing store, but up until 2020 was a social networking site. And Nexo, how do you say that? Nexopia? Nexopia or Nexopia. Yeah. Nexopia, and a Can which is a Canadian networking website. Jeremy went by Soul Eater and Jasmine Runaway Devil. They confessed their love to each other over Messenger at the beginning of March. So, like, that's very soon. They pretty much were official in, like, around Valentine's Day. And then beginning of March, they're, like, telling each other they love each other. Yeah, no kidding. But, I mean, lots of times at young ages, too. Yeah, things go really fast. It's lust and you don't quite understand it. And It could have been, like, first love kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, a few days after, Jeremy wrote Jasmine a song titled, Till Death Do We Part. And I'll bless your ears with it. Let's hear it. You're the blood that flows through my veins. You're the sun breaking through the clouds when it rains. My love is for you forever as we die here together. We'll be together forever till death do we part. And then he signed it off. Hope you enjoy. Love you tons. Later, cuddle bunny. And he went later as like, I had to look this up because like. L-A-R. Yeah, I was like, what does that mean? And I just like, I should have known, but it's been a while. It's been a while. So yeah, that's how he spelled later. Wow. Jasmine's relationship with her parents, as you could imagine, was steadily declining. Yeah, I would assume so. After leaving her brother, okay, this, so she, at one point, she left her brother alone while she was supposed to be babysitting him, and they were at, like, a work function, and so they grounded her indefinitely, because he got scared, I mean, he was, like, eight and called and was like, I'm home alone, mm -hmm. when she was supposed to be babysitting, like, what the fuck? They also um, started monitoring her computer pages, eventually deciding to box up their computer altogether so she could no longer use it. This, however, didn't stop Jasmine. I mean, I think a lot of things parents do, it's like they just find a way, right? Oh, yeah. Kids will always find a way. Um, the best thing, I mean, I, I'm no parent. I don't know. But from my experience, what my parents did with me, um, the best thing to do is be involved. Be involved with it. Yeah. Because um, I was starting to get to the age where I was going to go out and, you know, have some drinks with friends and party when I was underage. Um, not to, you know, criminalize my parents here with this, but they would bootleg for me. They would go buy me alcohol and they would tell me, okay, as long as you have the money, we'll buy it for you. Drink responsibly. Tell us where you are. Tell us when you need to be picked up. Doesn't matter the time, whatever. We will be there. We will get you. And that well, honesty kept a lot open. You would have found a way to get that alcohol regardless of that. hundred percent. Right. hundred percent. So yeah, my my parents were pretty involved too. So like if I wanted alcohol as well, I would be able to just get it from them. Yeah. Not to say you should go buy your underage kids alcohol. That's not what I'm saying. No, but like, yeah, the involvement and stuff. 
I don't know. Yeah, but honestly, sometimes I think you could probably just do anything and it's not going to work either. That's true. But right? work work with them, not against them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she would just go about using the computers at the public library, like done, right? Mm -hmm. And she would go about imagining her life, what her life would be like without parents. After completing some successful family counseling sessions, Mark and Deborah decided to let Jasmine go to one of the punk shows to see her friends with the stipulation that they attended with her. I mean, she's 12, right? I don't feel like that's that bad. That's uh, not outrageous. I don't even, sure. like, a lot of parents probably wouldn't even let them go at 12, right? That's, like, really young. That is young. But that proved to be a disaster because at one point, she wandered off and was later found in the back alley making out with Jeremy. Blah. That's when the real punishment started. She was grounded for a month, no phone or computer privileges, not allowed to listen to music. They took away her eyeliner and hair straightener, and she was to go directly to school and home afterwards. All friends were turned away at the door. So, boom. They're, like, putting their foot down here. Fair enough. I mean, right, rightfully so. Yeah. So Jasmine, though, felt like she was a prisoner in her own home and grew increasingly anger, angry about her lack of freedom and privacy. On March 20th, she wrote to Jeremy, Roar, I hate them. So I have this plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. So we are set. I'm going to try and call you, but I really don't know if I'll be able to. They are treating me like shit. I hate them so much, but I hope this won't bring us apart. I hope to talk to you soon, and I love you with all my heart. Love. Wow. There's, there's a lot of emotion in that. Yeah. So the next day, Jeremy wrote back and said, Well, I love your plan, but we need to get a little more creative with, like, details and stuff. I wish they wouldn't treat you that way. Grr, it angers me to hear that. I dislike them very much. Don't worry, I love you too, my sexy beast. I <laughs> Okay, that, I, that was a bit much, okay. Your eyebrows, I could see them go up. I hope to hear from you soon. Um, to take care, my love. You have the key to my heart, and soon enough you shall have my heart if I die anyway. Because if I give it to you now, I'll die then, and you won't be able to hear me say how much I love you. Love, XOXOXO. XOXO. That's very gossip, gossip girl, girl of them. Wow, okay. I'm ashamed that I know that. Oh, my God. Well, no, he went XOXOXO in Gossip Girl. I think it's just XOXO, Gossip Girl. Still. Anyway, he's like a bit much. He's a bit much for sure. Like, it's a bit much. I'm a little done with that. Well- the amount I, of shit emails I read. I'm not going. <laughs> I think it's a bit much, but I'm not going to judge him on that. I mean, young love and with the potential um, alcohol, fetal alcohol syndrome, was it? Yes. Fetal alcohol syndrome disorder um, and ADHD. I know. Okay. I know. But the yeah. And he's showing his affection and stuff, but yeah, it's like it's a bit over the top. It's a bit over the top for, for me. Yeah. But that's not to say anyone can be like, yeah, if that, if they what want. What the fuck? I've never received any love notes like that. Yeah. Cause you get a go fuck yourself instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Frig. Maybe I need to find a Jeremy. <laughs> okay. So on March 24th, Jeremy posted a poem on his Nexopia. How do you say that shit? Nexopia or Nex Nexopia page that read my, and like this shit's public. This is the thing that's just like, this is not very smart. So my girlfriend's family are totally unfair. They say that they really care. They don't know what is going on. They just assume as their greed continues to consume. She is slowly going insane. She continues to think that I came into her life to help her out and to stop what they keep trying to shout. It's all total bullshit. Their throats I want to slit. They will regret the shit they have done, especially when I see to it that they are gone. They pay for their insolence. Finally, they shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. 
Wow, that's that's incriminating. If there's anything I've ever heard that is incriminating. Yep. And right there, we're stopping the episode. Oh, shit. Of course you are. So next episode. I thought you said you weren't leaving us on a cliffhanger. That's or not a cliffhanger. Yeah, it is. I've given so many details. Still, we, we are at the point where we know he is about to converse about committing this crime. I felt it was a very kind spot. So <sighs> next episode... We'll be talking about the final days leading up to the murders, Jeremy's final words to Jasmine's dad, and the aftermath that entailed, including how they spent their time before being caught, which is just disgusting, and the punishments they received or the lack thereof. Wow. So So tune in next time. Tune in next (laughs) time to Wicked and Grim. Wow. That was good. You need to get more announcey about it. I could do it really well. Okay, do it. Do it. Let's hear it. Okay, how can we'll, we'll both do our best announcer voice. Let's see what you okay. got. <clears throat> Tune in next time to Wicked and Grim. That was actually pretty shitty. <laughs> <laughs> you went really like this. You really like pinched your lips. Accent. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta get like authority. Oh, yeah. Like authority. Oh, I see how you're setting yourself up. I'm gonna lose. Shoulders no back, what. right? So you go. Tune in next time to Wicked and Grim. Like that. Okay. That's how you can finish all of our fucking episodes. From here on out. <laughs> ben will become an announcer <laughs> at the very end of every podcast. Um, how, I'll, I'll do our outro. The whole like um, Patreon Ooh. social media spiel like this. Okay. Okay. Do okay. It up. Let's do it see up. how I can do this. Let's do it. For, for the record, this is completely improv. So I, I don't have script for if this stuff. If you can't tell, this is fucking improv. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So. <clears throat> Well, thank you very much for being here with us today on Wicked and Grim. We appreciate every single one of you coming from the bottom of our heart. We sincerely do mean that. If you want to support us, you can find all of our social links down in the description of this podcast. We have Instagram, Facebook, website. We're even on Reddit. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can go ahead and do that too. But don't worry, it's not necessary. We appreciate every single one of you regardless. We love you. Thank you so much for being here. And of course, don't forget to... Stay wicked. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.